The world is still trying to wrap their brain around what just happened at the Supreme Court of the United States of America and the Dobbs decision. Today I'm joined by Eric Scheidler, one of my favorite guys in the pro-life movement to talk to about what's going on. The guy has his finger on the pulse of everything going on, it feels like, in the entire American pro-life movement. He knows a ton about what's going on on outside of America as well. So tune in for Eric Scheidler on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. I am excited and thrilled to have you along for the ride um, on what continues to be an unpacking story of the Dobbs decision. Um, I had the great opportunity in the days and at times even hours after the decision fell to talk to a bunch of pro-life leaders throughout America and around the world about reactions, what happens next, what is going on um, entirely in this reeling aftermath of the Dobbs decision striking down Roe versus Wade. And on today's episode, I'm going to share my conversation with Eric Scheidler, um, who runs the Pro-Life Action League, following in the footsteps of his father, Joe Scheidler, the godfather of the pro-life movement, um, of direct action, an incredibly influential member in the, the global pro-life movement. I mean, he had his fingers and, and his support and wisdom in so many different pro-life organizations across America and around the world. And Eric Schreiler has picked up right where his father left off. Um, he's incredibly knowledgeable. And as you'll see in, in this um, interview, very, very fired up about what's going on and what pro-lifers need to think about next. And so um, if you're new to the show, this is a program dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion. A ton of our episodes are anchored around apologetics and how to have the right thing to say at the right time. And we've been doing this series on the aftermath of the Dobbs decision to help equip you with the knowledge and background that you need when it comes not only to pro-life strategy and legal stuff in the States, but also just how do you navigate conversations? What is true? What is not true about what's going on in the States right now and what it means for other countries? And so um, that's the goal of the show. I hope that we are fulfilling it as best that we possibly can. Um, and if you want to learn more about the show, if you're new and you want to check out past episodes, don't hesitate to scroll through whatever podcast you're on right now. Check on our website at prolifeguys.com um, or check on our YouTube channel. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Eric Scheidler, leader of the Pro-Life Action League. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the Pro-Life Guys podcast. I'm sure it's been a wild last couple of days. How is life in your neck of the woods? It's just been crazy. I mean, from from really from the time that this case first dawned on us as a, a real potential to change the landscape here in the United States on abortion back in spring of or, or early summer of, of 2021, this is a case that was kind of on our radar for quite a few years. It even had a different name. I don't remember what that was, but there was a some other official in uh, the state of Mississippi before Dobbs. So it had a different yeah. name at the time. And I look back at my records. I've seen it come up in meeting after meeting after meeting. This case is working its way through the courts. Then all of a sudden, um, we start to hear how this is going to challenge Roe versus Wade. The oral arguments become a big, huge deal. We held massive rallies all around the country on the day of the oral arguments, including you know, huge rally in Washington, D.C., and I was there for that. And then there was that strange 
the weeks we've had since the leaks draft, that was a really unusual and unexpected, obviously very un- unprecedented, um, you know, event to see a Supreme Court draft ruling um, leaked in this way. It's a terrible breach of the ethics mm. of the court and of the really the the trust and sanctity of of the Supreme Court. And that's you know that put us into kind of crazy mode where we have protests and rallies <laughs> and even acts of violence, pregnancy centers yeah. being attacked, um, pro life activists being threatened. I had a, a package of fake feces sent to my home address a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, my mother had some hate mail sent to her house. We start worrying about security, and of course, in a sense, they um, they really kind of deprived us of, uh, of some of our joy with that leak. You know, I, I've sort of had this painful thought of what it would have been like on this past Friday if we had not known what was coming. Mm. If we were hoping, we we're pretty sure they were going to uphold Mississippi. That seemed a kind of sure thing. Uh, we, we were hoping that just maybe they might go so far as to overturn Roe. Well, we found out weeks in advance that that was precisely what they were going to do. And then all we could really do was worry about whether that would really be the case or not. You know, So my first, my very first emotion was dismay because I did not expect the ruling on Friday. I did not want the ruling on Friday uh, to go into a weekend with that. Uh, I had really been hoping if we can get past Friday, we know it'll be Monday. Then we can put out advance notice. We'll be able to get more people out. We'll be much better prepared. You know, so that's I was really fingers crossed that it would be Monday. So my first reaction was, oh, no, you know, that ruins my day. <laughs> it's a strange response to have to the biggest event, biggest victory the pro-life movement has experienced in 50 years. But that really was where I was coming from, because for me, it's like it's logistics. I have to organize this stuff. It, it means a ton of work. Uh, but I take that on gratefully. So we we jumped into high gear. So I guess my first emotion was shock and dismay. My second emotion was joy and relief. My third emotion was got to get to work. So we just, you know, we had a, a huge list of to-do items because we had to reach out to all of our local leaders and say, today's the day. Get your emails out. We had to get our emails out, our press releases. Um you know, get all of our gear together for our own rally we held at Federal Plaza in Chicago. Uh, the reporters start calling for interviews. I'm, you know, in the in the truck on the way to the protest doing an interview, and um, you know, inter- the media's all there. It's been it's been a real whirlwind. I, in a sense, I really haven't had a chance to take a breath and really sit back and think about what all of this means. But you know, I really have a lot of mixed emotions. Um, obviously, a tremendous sense of satisfaction that 50 years of pro-life activism, and I think a lot of, of the credit goes to people like my father, Joe Scheidler, who got regular Americans involved in the day-to-day uh, advocacy for unborn children, people who have a heart for these children, people who have real compassion for their mothers, who are willing to go out into the public square and risk ridicule and, and, and mocking and uh, even hatred, uh, loss of friends and family. I mean, this happens to all of us. And go out there and, and speak the truth and keep the issue in front of the people. Um, that public-facing advocacy in the public square, showing the victims of abortion, telling the truth about uh, what life in the womb is like, telling the truth about the abortion industry and their nefarious dealings and you know horrific mistreatment of women and all of the rest, uh, that kept this issue alive for all these years. I don't think we would have made it to this day without that direct action that the Pro-Life Action League is really all about. Um, but I'm also you know, anxious for the future. You know, Are we going to be able to maintain the energy level we've had for the last 49 years 
when for so long, overturning Roe v. Wade was the goal. I mean, even until today, there are pro-lifers who think that abortion would be banned if Roe v. Wade were overturned. A lot of pro-abortion people saying the same thing. Um, will people lose their fire? Will they lose their? Will will they feel less generous towards pro-life groups like Pro-Life Action League and others that do this type of work? Um, will we be able to get activists to to do advocacy in all fifty states, which we still need? You know, this ruling is only going to diminish abortion rates if we're lucky by about ten percent. Even if half the states ban abortion. Still, they're going to travel. They're going to send abortion pills legally or illegally. There are still going to be women in the most pro-life state in the union who are getting abortions, thinking about abortions, scheduling abortions, trying to figure out how to find an abortion. So our, our message that abortion takes a human life and our um, uh, educational campaigns, our conversations that we have one-on-one on abortion, these, don't, these need to increase. This needs, we need to step this up. This is where the pro-life movement really begins. So I'm, I'm concerned that people will rest on their laurels. They'll hang up their boots. They'll say, we've accomplished it and we're done. Uh, but I'm also filled with a, a real sense of hopefulness and, and opportunity. Um, and not just, you know, not just on the abortion issue, but on really transforming the culture in a significant way that would really accommodate the reproductive realities of women, especially that women get pregnant, that women have menstrual periods that sometimes can be really difficult for them, that women need to uh, have a desire for and, and need to care for their children, to be home with their nursing babies, to have leave from work to do this. We have not accommodated. Our society has rammed a, a down on both sexes the masculine ideal of being always available for the employer. So women are supposed to always be available for men's sexual appetites to be satisfied, and men and we've put the man label on women too by serializing them, are always to be available for their corporate masters. So it's time to re really revisit what kind of world we live in. Uh, I fear, though, that some of that conversation won't happen because of all the propaganda and madness and you know, craziness that we're hearing uh, from across the, across the political spectrum, but especially from abortion advocates right now who are kind of losing their minds over what just happened. Even though, you know, some are saying it's like the new prohibition. Well, abortion hasn't been prohibited. Ask me. I live in Illinois. Our governor's called for a special session to see if there's some way they can find somewhere in our statutes to further expand abortion. I don't know where they're going to go. I mean, one thing they're going to look for is to have nurses do surgical abortions instead of just doctors. Um, they're going to try to attack conscience rights. They're going to try to shut down the pro-life pregnancy centers if they can. They they may want to expand the Chicago bubble zone that limits our activity outside of abortion clinics to the entire state. So, I mean, this has become Illinois. My home state has become an abortion mecca. And other states are too. California, I mean, they're wanting to make abortion a constitutional right there. Gavin Newsom is looking for ways to fly women from all over the country into California. My governor, J.B. Pritzker, uh, is doing the same. Uh, California, I mean, I'm sorry, New York, again, just New York was the abortion tourist state in 1972, before Roe v. Wade, when the uh, the legislature of the state tried to reverse their liberal abortion law, repealed it. The Republican governor vetoed that, then Roe v. Wade came along. So we're, in a sense, being set back to the early 70s, but in another sense, it's like a time warp because now we have 49 years of legal abortion throughout the United States. We have 
in generations that have been dramatically propagandized on this issue. I mean, Gen Z and the millennials, especially Gen Z, are just swamped with pro-abortion propaganda. I mean, uh, my daughters are, are big fans of Taylor Swift and Harry Styles. I have Harry Styles tickets to his next show in, in Chicago. He's come out with a huge, you know, big pro-abortion statement. You know, he doesn't know anything about it. You know, um, he's he, and he shouldn't. He's a musician. His specialty should be in music. How he became an expert on abortion policy, I don't know. So the the propaganda is just massive. Um, and one of the one of the weirder fallouts we're seeing, which maybe should have been expected, is that more people are calling themselves pro-choice in the wake of this overturning. So it's opened up a huge can of worms. I think it's going to take a couple of years before the pro-life movement can really even reckon with what the hell happened here. Uh, it's a huge victory. It's a huge opportunity, but it's also, it brings with it a lot of really difficult challenges, especially in the public relations realm that it's going to take us some time to figure out how to even begin to address. So a lot of mixed emotions. I know that's a, a big <laughs> core dump I've just offered you, but those are just some of the thoughts uh, whirling around my skull um, here a few days after Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. And that is exactly why I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because there's so much to unpack there. There's so much to, yeah. to talk about. And, and I had the opportunity yesterday to talk to Mark Crutcher from Life Dynamics, and he was talking about how for so many pro-lifers, unfortunately – for the last 49 years, they've been able to pawn off involvement in one way or another on the fact that, well, well Roe v. Wade, like my, my involvement in pro-life outreach is limited in, in its efficacy because of Roe v. Wade. You guys at Pro-Life Action League are obviously national leaders, global leaders when it comes to direct action. And so now the people, the, the voices of everyday American citizens are in some ways becoming even more valuable, even more... Uh, meaningful because public opinion is actually going to sway state by state legislation and obviously still going back to the pastoral and, and educational components of regardless of legislation. I, I'm sure that it's a little bit too early to tell exactly what the um, the mission plan is going to be for the pro-life action league going forward. But as leaders in the direct action um, kind of realm, what, what kind of message are you giving to people so that they don't fall into celebration for too long. Obviously, let, let's take our wins and celebrate them because we have precious few of them. But how do we get ready for work on Monday so that the pro-life movement doesn't skip a beat? Because we know, like you said, that the pro-abortion movement is not going to take a day off when it comes to fighting for the right to kill children or the supposed right to kill children. What, what are you saying to pro-lifers to keep them engaged? Well, I'm really looking at this in terms of uh, uh, what we're calling a red state, blue state, purple state strategy. So in your red states, um, we're already seeing, I think, 11 or 12 states have either banned abortion or passed or enacted you know, with, with trigger laws, uh, significant restrictions on abortion. I mean, Mississippi uh, had a 15-week ban for a couple of days, and I believe now they've, they've banned abortion there um, because they had, a, they had another law on the books. And we're seeing that happen in numerous, numerous states. But again, women in those states are still getting pregnant when they aren't expecting it. Um, they are still thinking about abortion. They're still planning abortions. They're going to travel over state lines for abortion. So in the red states, we need to keep that pro-life message alive. We need to be out there on the highway overpasses with the banners we have for our national pro-life bridges events that say abortion takes a human life that reach millions of drivers all in a single day. We need to be having conversations with our friends, family, loved ones, coworkers around the water cooler or at the back church or on the back porch about abortion, 
Um, and we're, we're ready to empower people to, to do that in those red states. Our handbook, Sharing the Pro-Life Message, is absolutely packed with information for people that empowers them to be able to have those conversations, to answer all those objections. What about rape? What about a poor woman? What about a baby with a disability, a bad diagnosis? Uh, you know, when does a baby's heart begin to beat? And all these pieces of information we can share, anyone can share with their friends or, or family about this issue. Uh, in the blue states, where, like where I live, Illinois, that are becoming more and more radically pro-abortion, we have to, in a sense, start from scratch rebuilding a culture of life. Uh, so trying to build sympathy for unborn children, trying to show those um, more you know, independent or moderate voters how extreme the policies are. And as an example of that, in Illinois here, on June 1st, so the beginning of this month, uh, our Parental Notice of Abortion Act stopped being enforced. It was repealed back right before Christmas, almost Christmas Eve. Our governor signed that repeal into law. The law was um, suspended on June 1st. So for the past three weeks and, and more, uh, minor girls have been able to get abortions in Illinois without the abortion facility or ever having to inform their parents. That means girls from Indiana, Missouri, Kentucky, Iowa, Wisconsin, are coming into Illinois to get abortions, uh, many of them at the behest of their older uh, sexual exploiters. So the stepfather, the older boyfriend, you know, the 13-year-old girl gets mixed up with a guy in his 20s um, who takes her to Illinois now for an abortion to cover up his sexual abuse of her. Um, this is what's now happening in our state. And yet 78% of Illinois voters are opposed to this repeal that, that happened right under their noses. Uh, even a majority of people who identify as pro-choice are opposed to being kept in the dark when their minor, when their 13 or 14 year old daughter gets, goes to get an abortion. So we have to find ways to reach these voters and tell them the truth about how extreme things are. So my argument here in Illinois isn't gonna be stop abortion now. My argument here in Illinois is gonna be let's restore parental notification of abortion. Let's repeal taxpayer funding of abortion, Pop, very unpopular policy positions adopted by our radical legislature over the past few years. And then there's the purple states, which I think are going to be the most interesting. And I kind of envy the most the pro-lifers in a state like Pennsylvania, where you've got a pro-abortion Democratic governor, where you've got a lot of pro-life le lifers working in the Republican legislature, and where you might have the opportunity to both enact something like a 15 or a 12 week ban, which doesn't really ban that many abortions in the end, but couple that with a robust safety net, um, some kind of uh, you know payments for parents to f form families. Something we have to keep in mind in the midst of all of this, and there's been very little discussion of this in the fallout from Dobbs v. Jackson, is that the United States, and in fact the entire Western world and beyond the Western world, is experiencing a major demographic crisis. Uh, we are losing population. We're, we're simply not replacing ourselves. People are not having children, and not because they don't want to. We know from the work of people like demographer Lyman Stone that most women want more children than they are having. They want three, they only have two. They want two, they only have one. They want four, they only have three. They don't feel like they can afford another child. They can't fit another child in their house or their car. Um, you know, and some of those concerns about the cost of children are probably over uh, you know, overstated. Um, I have eight children and we managed to, to make it so far and uh, three left in the house now, uh, four, <laughs> one's about to move out. 
And, um, you know, so we have to tell the story about how it's possible to raise children on, on a budget. And, and we have to stop stigmatizing poverty, which we've been doing in the United States and across the Western world, but especially here in the U.S. Um, we, we, treat, we act as if being poor is some sort of a, a, a moral flaw. Uh, we even act as if not finishing a college degree makes you a kind of a loser. And that's despicable. You know, there's tremendous dignity in the work that the middle class, that the working class has done. Blue car jobs are, are honorable jobs. And we've not been telling that story. We've been telling our factory workers and our warehouse workers to feel like a bunch of losers, um, to find the meaning in their life, you know, and flying pride flags and posting on the internet instead of actually being able to stay home and care for their children and, you know, these kinds of things. So, in those purple states, we may be actually able to enact policies on both sides, limiting abortion, but expanding that opportunity to raise a family, to have a decent uh, wage, and, and those other policies that I think some pro-lifers tend to think of as a little more liberal or lefty. But you know, to me, more and more of those terms, liberal, conservative, right and right and left, mean almost nothing. It really comes down to, are you standing with families or are you standing with stockholders? You know, uh, is it the, the liberal elites that you want to bow to or is it, you know, the, the, you know, God himself who says be fruitful and multiply and wants us to uh, invest in our communities and in our families um, and, and have that be our priority. So it's time for a change of how we think about everything. And uh, I think, uh, you know, the sky's the limit on what we can achieve. Uh, as long as we're willing to put the work, the effort into convincing our fellow citizens to join us in this new project. Absolutely. And and I, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I, I, I'm sure that you've seen the, the same growing list of these brutal corporate overlords that are being willing to generously offer to cover the, the abortion expenses of all of their employees. I, I saw a growing list today of the Nikes and Amazons and Airbnbs and Patagonias of the world. And... How asinine is it that we have these supposedly compassionate groups that are saying, you know, we'd, we'd rather not pay any kind of maternity leave. We'd rather not see culture change so that one of our employees that we supposedly value can go home and actually care for their children. No, we're going to give you like a week off or we're going to pay for you to, to cover your abortion expenses so that we don't have to pay for any time off. Um, absolutely bonkers that that's where the corporate world is pushing. And I think that's hopefully becoming evident to more and more pro-lifers and more people around the world that this is an industry that we should not be supporting, not, not only in the Planned Parenthoods of the world, but let's let's take a good look in the mirror when it comes to the, the entities that we are encouraging, whether it's our children to go work for or the corporations that we are so passionately supportive of because um, Patagonia has a a zero impact on the environment um, rating for their rain jackets, and yet they're paying for their employees to go have abortions. What kind of awareness do you think that these um, pro-lifers can be passing on to help people realize just how bonkers society, I know that you already touched on some of it, but what else comes to mind to help people kind of take that red pill as it were? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's shocking to me. I mean, it, maybe it shouldn't be at this point, but the fact that the, the media doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't even, cross their minds to push back against that, those policies at all from these corporations. You know, I mean, how, how are they missing this opportunity to say, wait a minute, what about 
What's your policy on parental leave? What's your policy on uh, nursing mothers? And, and, and uh, do you have nursing stations at your place of employment? Are, are women able to express breast milk without being hassled at the Amazon warehouse? Um, what kind of paternity leave do you have? What kind of sick leave do you have when a parent has a sick child? Uh, are you setting up a college fund for the, the kids of your employees? You know, do you really care about the future? Um, but they're not asking any of those questions. And they can ask those questions and get answers. It's a lot harder for us. You know, if I challenge Patagonia or Citibank to say, what are your employee health benefits? They're not going to tell me. They'll tell NBC News. They'll tell the Associated Press. And, but they're, they're not even curious about this. It doesn't even cross their minds. Uh, that just shows you how deeply entrenched the pro-abortion mentality is in the media, which, is, which can be very demoralizing. But, you know, the media don't run the show anymore. There's podcasts mm-hmm. like this. There's, you know, so many other ways through social media and through, guess what? Human beings still walk around the planet. I know it didn't seem like it for a couple of years during COVID. And there's a lot of them still wearing masks, so we're not sure what's going on with them. But there are human beings in your life you could actually use your tongue and talk to about abortion. So we got to accept the low-tech opportunities we have to talk to real people about this stuff. And that we can just point that out, say, hey, how come all these corporations that are offering free abortion travel to their employees aren't offering massive, uh, generous plans to allow their employees to have the children that not only the employees want, but that the corporation needs as future workers and future customers. You know, Amazon recently, it was sort of a leaked memo from Amazon saying, uh, oh my God, guys, there's no one else to hire. We've already hired and fired everyone in America who has left. You know, I mean, they have a business model that's designed for firing people. You know, they don't want you to be there for more than a couple of years because you might start asking for a pay increase. Turns out you don't get any better at working at a warehouse after two years. At that point, you've maxed out your ability to learn this, more of the skill. You're just there and they don't want to have to start paying you more for the same work. So they'd rather leave, get you out of there and bring someone else in. Like they've run through everybody. Well, where do you think the workers are going to come from, Bezos? They're going to come from the wombs of the employees that you have. You know, this is reality we're talking about. So, you know, that's part of the story we can sh- we can share. We can we can provide that, you know, that response um, when we have those conversations. Yeah, yeah, and and it's worked, right? Like I I, I talked to you briefly before we we jumped on on the recording here about how unfortunate there's some Canadian and and other folks. I'm sure there's unfortunately some Americans even who think that this ruling kind of fell out of thin air mm-hmm. and and don't realize that. There's been a groundswell of support in the pro-life movement because of the direct action work that groups like Pro-Life Action are leading. And maybe bring us up to speed a little bit on what what this has looked like. Because as you mentioned, your father, Joe Scheidler, was a pioneer in the direct action world. And you look at things since like the, the, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s, and where things have come since then with abortion being on their radar and the massive leaps and strides that, that uh, Pro-Life Action League has taken. Maybe walk us through some of those major campaigns and components that have brought America to this point and how those same strategies can continue being used in the, the months, 
years, decades to come to continue building. I know that it, it gets thrown out so often that, that people sometimes lose the meaning of what a culture of life truly means. But mm -hmm. all this stuff that we're talking about of a culture that values and dignifies life in all of its not only stages, but how that manifests with responsible and, and loving parents um, investing time and energy into their children, what has worked and what is going to keep working um, as we move forward? Well, you know, a, a lot of commentators on the left right now are calling this uh, ruling some kind of a defeat for democracy. Um, it's it, and it's a it's ironic that they would call this ruling a defeat for democracy that says this issue should be decided by the people democratically through their elected representatives. I mean, that's precisely what the Supreme Court says. Like, let's leave this incredibly contentious, controversial issue to the people to decide in the states or federally. We can have a federal abortion policy, but we will decide it as a people. Why are they so freaked out if they really think the majority is opposed to the overturning of Roe v. Wade? You know, the, the media talks about it. The pro-abortion forces talk about it. But the reality is that yeah, people said they liked Roe v. Wade. They didn't really mean it because they didn't really understand Roe. They wanted abortion restrictions that are not allowed under Roe, like restrictions on sex selection abortion or abortion of disabled children, abortions late in pregnancy, uh, partial birth abortion. Yeah, there's a federal ban on that, but there are equally horrific late-term abortion procedures still legal, still being used in states like Colorado, Maryland, and New Mexico, where abortions are performed very, very late into pregnancy. So, you know, democracy is what's happening here. And democracy is what has been happening for the past 49 years. In the pro-life movement, uh, initially, many people believed that it would take only a few years of educating the public for there to be a constitutional amendment that would overturn and undo Roe versus Wade and ensure the right to life of unborn children. Um, people like my parents naively thought that it would just take a few years. They could, you know, just do some pro-life advocacy and educate the people. Um, so I guess the first important thing that happened was that the pro-life movement figured out relatively early after just a few years that abortion was deeply entrenched and that it was going to be a long haul fight. I, it proved to be much longer than people thought. We got very, very close in 1992 with the Casey versus Planned Parenthood ruling. Um, the dissent in that ruling reads a little bit like a majority opinion that had to be revised just as Kennedy changed his vote at the last moment. Um, and you know, he'll, he'll have to face his maker on that one because for another 30 years, legal abortion continued in the United States because of that, that ruling that upheld Roe v. Wade, a ruling that has now been, along with Roe v. Wade, overturned by the Supreme Court. But along the way, there were policies like the Hyde Amendment. That's a very important one. Uh, in fact, my father and mother uh, took me and my brothers when we were little kids. I was six years old. In 1972, before Roe, to a rally in downtown Chicago at which then state representative Henry Hyde, young guy nobody would heard of, was speaking out against abortion. He would go on to join the Congress to author the, the Hyde Amendment, which to this day has been protecting unborn children from being killed with federal dollars. It saved at least two, maybe three million human beings over the course of the decade since it was first put in place in the 1970s. Um, so the Hyde, Hyde Amendment is a very important one. Um, I would also point to, as far as landmarks along the way, uh, I would point to my father's case, Now versus Scheidler, which was first filed in 1986 as an antitrust lawsuit. They were arguing that my father, the Pro-Life Action League, and other defendants were guilty of violating interstate trade 
by disrupting women's ability to get abortions. Ironically, we're now talking about abortion travel. Well, that's what they were talking about back then. That case went on for over 20 years. It's the only case. It eventually became a RICO case. A RICO is a federal statute. It stands for Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act. It's an act designed to go after mob leaders who conspire to uh, perform you know, cr- criminal uh, conspiracies, but don't actually do the crimes themselves. So they went after my dad with this RICO statute, claiming that he was kind of a mafioso leader of this illegal abortion, anti-abortion operation. He was found uh, liable by the district court, lost at the appellate level, lost at the full appellate panel, then went to the Supreme Court for a second time, because the first time was way back in the early 90s to find out whether RICO could even be used this way. And that was vaguely enough written. They said yes. All nine justices said this case can go forward. We ended up winning eight to one. The appellate court refused to implement that ruling in this bizarre once in a millennium type of refusal to implement a Supreme Court ruling. We had to go back to the court for an eight to zero unanimous victory in 2006. Uh, it took several years after that for the case to finally end. But through, through all those years, the Pro-Life Action League was able to, to get a lot of national press, to draw a lot of new donors in and new activists into the movement through the notoriety of this case. And a, a, a civil right to protest abortion, even if that occasionally meant that things got a little wild and somebody trespassed a little bit or whatever. Um, and, and that was an important right to be secured, not only for the pro-life movement, for, but for civil rights generally. And many of our friends, our amici, as they're called in legal terms, uh, who filed briefs for our case, were from the left. People like Martin Sheen, you know, the actor, and uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, and um, uh, some of these other, uh, not me, no, it wasn't the Southern Poverty Law Center, it was somebody else who, who came in uh, on our side. It was Martin Luther King's group. Um, but th- there were liberal groups who recognized this could be used against their advocacy too. Uh, if we can use RICO against civil uh, protest and some civil level of civil disobedience. So that was an important case. The fight over partial birth abortion was, was very important because that raged all through the late 80s on into the 90s and the early 2000s and really you know, burned in people's minds the ugliness of late-term abortion. Uh, the federal ruling that finally upheld that, you know, you can, you can, the justice's reaction to the ugliness of this procedure is viscerally evident in the actual text of those rulings. So uh, that fight was very important for bringing abortion to the public square and on the front, on the front page. Um, another very important step along the way were the undercover videos that were released in 2015 by David Delyden and the Center for Medical Progress. Uh, the Pro-Life Action League and some other groups leapt into action with the Protest PP initiative at that time, which goes till, you know, has continued till today, highlighting what had happened there, protesting at Planned Parenthood facilities, raising public awareness. We eventually convinced the Trump administration to withhold Title X money from Planned Parenthood. So for several years, they were held back by that. Biden reinstituted it, of course. But um, very important public debate about Planned Parenthood, about abortion funding, um, and and the like. So those are just a few of the landmarks along the way um, where pro-life activists and pro-life advocates in other wings of the movement have kind of boosted things forward and brought us to this day. But I think more than anything else, it's the day-to-day. It's being outside the abortion facilities offering help and praying it's going out into the public square like the Pro-Life Action League did a couple weeks ago in the Chicago area, showing the disturbing but truthful, real victims of abortion, showing the violence 
an injustice of abortion for people to see with their own eyes. And having, again, those one-on-one conversations, you know, the pro-life club at the high school that does a bake sale and gets advocacy that way. Um, the, 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 the aunt who talks to her niece about her unintended pregnancy and shares with her uh, how possible it would be to choose life for that baby and what resources are available. The pregnancy centers that are out there helping day after day and all the volunteers that are doing that work. It's the day-to-day-to-day work. And so uh, that should be a lesson to us that this is what is needed going forward. Uh, That every person who has a heart for unborn children, who has true compassion for their mothers, doesn't want to see any woman told she has to get an abortion in order to participate in the blessings of liberty, to take personal responsibility. Maybe your call is to be a donor. You've got the means to be a a significant donor and find an organization that will accomplish goals that you think are important, like advocating in the public square like we do at the Pro-Life Action League or offering assistance at a pregnancy center. Maybe you want to donate to a, a legislative group that's going to be able to change policy in your state. Um, maybe your call is to be a sidewalk counselor. We desperately need them here in Illinois. Um, the number of abortion clinics in Illinois went down in the early teens because of some investigations that found horrific conditions. Numerous facilities closed. Now there is no inspection regime in our state. It's been wiped away by the Reproductive Health Act, the RHA that was uh, signed into law in 2019. So we, we now have new abortion clinics cropping up all over the state. We have pill-only abortion facilities that are in, you know, high-rise buildings, very hard to even counsel. You know, you've got thousands of people walking through the door and one out of a hundred maybe or less uh, is going to the abortion facility. Um, so we need to, you know, each one of us needs to, f- to find out what you're called to do. What, it could be something as radical as sidewalk counseling where you go to the abortion facility, you try to offer help. You maybe get to talk to somebody and, and lead them to assistance they, that they can get. You maybe get sweared at. Maybe someone swerves a car at you. It can be frightening work, but it's critical. It's important. Um, maybe your call is to be out in the public square leafleting people, passing out literature, smiling and handing someone a flyer that exposes the reality of Planned Parenthood or the truth about late-term abortion or whatever the topic might be. Uh, there's got to be a job out there for you no matter who you are. And the Pro-Life Action League is there to help you figure out what that is and then put you to work doing it. Absolutely. And and that's, that's exactly why, why we're doing this, <laughs> Eric. I, I appreciate all of the time. We're going to drop a link to not only the book, Sharing the Pro-Life Message, um, in the show notes as well. We're going to add a link to your website. Um, and, and like you mentioned, this is something everybody has a place in the pro-life movement. The, the idea that only the superheroes can do this, only the... The people like Eric and Cam, like, like that's nonsense. You and I are regular guys who try to do the best we can. God is good working with broken tools like you and me. And everyone's got a home in the pro-life movement. We have a ton of different needs. It's not just sidewalk counselors, though we do, like you said, need sidewalk counselors. We need financial partners. Um, we need people who are able to mobilize and prayer warriors, people who come out to different displays. <clears throat> people who get involved with their churches, their schools, their post-secondary institutes, the whole shebang. Um, closing words, what, what, what is your last, uh, last message to, to folks that are, you know what, they're fired up, they're gung-ho. Do you have any events coming up? Where, where do people get plugged in with you and the Pro-Life Action League? Well, our next event is uh, National Pro-Life Bridges Day, which is coming up towards the end of this month. And... Um, that was going to be, I'm looking for the date on my calendar. Uh, we may not even have a f- 
far. Nope. That's going to be July 29th. Yeah. It's right there on my calendar. July 29th is National Pro-Life Bridges Day. If you contact us right away, you'll be able to get yourself a bridge kit. We've got a kit for like 125 bucks with two banners in it. Really easy. to just pops up. Then you go out to a highway overpass with, with three friends and you hold up the banner that says abortion takes a human life. That's our next big national event. We're hoping to reach more than 2 million drivers, commuters on Americans, America's highways that day all over the United States. Um, after that, we've got in September a very, very important, important date. Um, we are holding what we call the National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children, which is something we started doing in uh, 2013, where we go out to the abortion, I'm sorry, to the burial places of aborted children. There are about 50 places where aborted babies are buried around the United States. Um, the most recent burial is that of the 100 and I think it's 110 of first trimester aborted babies that were discovered by the folks from Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, Teresa Bukovinak and Lauren Handy in Washington, D.C. That was a big story, and listeners may be familiar with that. But just just last December, maybe it was late November, they discovered this cache of uh, aborted babies in some boxes that a a waste company driver let them have when they told him that they were aborted babies that they would like to bury. Uh, included in that grisly discovery were five babies aborted very, very late in pregnancy, um, possibly illegally. And we've been unsuccessful getting the, the DC medical examiner to actually take that case seriously. But those babies have been buried in an undisclosed location. So we're going to have a, a, an undisclosed uh, uh, memorial there. But there's you know 50 other locations around the country. Uh, where these children are buried. And we go out to those places. We go out to other memorial markers, which are set up in you know cemeteries and churches all over the country to remember these children. And uh, I think this year, um, above all, this event is important because in those states where abortion is banned, there's not going to be an opportunity to sidewalk counsel. You're not going to be able to join the Pro-Life Action League for our, you know, peace in the womb Christmas caroling at abortion facilities that we do every year because there won't be any abortion facilities. But what you can do and will do, even if abortion is banned in the entire country, even if abortion is banned in the entire continent, we will still need to visit the burial places of these children and to mourn for their loss. And that's what we do on the National Day of Remembrance. If you go to nationaldayofremembrance.org, you can see where those locations are going to be as we begin to ramp up. We're just now reaching out to leaders to organize those. So that could be an opportunity for listeners uh, if they want to get involved. And And we're happy to have those events take place outside of the U.S. as well. So that's an, an, another couple of things coming up. We're planning some kind of protest PP event. We're not quite sure what. They need to, some na-na-na-na-na-na outside of their facilities or something like that. I mean, we don't want to be we don't want to be silly, but we do we do want to enjoy this moment and Planned Parenthood should know that we're not giving up. So we're planning something in the fall along those lines. So if you want to be the first to know, go to prolifeaction.org, sign up for my email alerts. And if you scroll down to the bottom of the page at prolifeaction.org, you can sign up for emails and you'll hear from me about what's coming up next in the activist response to Dobbs v. Jackson. Love it. Thank you so, so much, Eric. I, I can only imagine how proud your father is of, of all the work that you and the Pro-Life Action League and all of the American pro-life movement, global pro-life movement leading towards this day, a day that he worked towards for so, so long. Um, 
God bless you. God bless um, the entire team at Pro-Life Action League. And thanks so much for your ministry and for joining me today on the podcast. It's been an honor, Cam. I always love talking to you and I look forward to our next conversation. Love it. Well, there it is, folks. Eric Scheidler, the man, the myth, the legend, leader of the Pro-Life Action League. He's got um, so much on the go. He has been so busy, not only since the, the overturning of Roe v. Wade, but he is constantly busy showing the truth about what abortion does to preborn children, engage people in conversations, doing billboards and all sorts of other displays and engagement tools and equipping pro-lifers with the tools that they need. An incredible organization. Check out the show notes below with info you need about their group. Um, and if you're interested in getting involved with the group that I'm a part of, not just the Pro-Life Guys podcast, you can buy merchandise. You can get all sorts of other cool things uh, from our website, prolifeguys.com. But you can also get active and involved with the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, CCBR, which is the parent organization for um, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And we are active in a ton of different communities across Canada. We've got offices in Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg, and several in the greater Toronto area. We work with community groups spread across the nation. And we'd love to get you plugged in with one of our offices, one of these groups, or help you launch a new initiative. We've talked a little bit about the Montreal Against Abortion team that we're um, supporting and helping get off the ground in um, La Belle Provence, um, Quebec, uh, based out of Montreal, obviously. Um, and we'd love to help you um, start something. Start something small. We're not asking you to, to necessarily move mountains on your first day. But we'd love to get you connected with some training, with some resources so that you and maybe a couple of friends or family members can get plugged in, um, get some training so that you can maybe do some door knocking or some other pro-life outreach, which is going to provoke conversation and Lord willing, change minds, save lives and be a part of transforming our culture. Thanks a ton for tuning in. Again, um, give us a like, give us a share, a repost, a review. Um, it all helps to build up the show and help us reach more and more people. And if you want to help us um, get more boots on the ground on street corners and on doorsteps, don't hesitate to um, financially partner with the show. Go to patreon.com slash prolifeguys. All that money goes towards things like our internship, volunteer programs, training, support, leadership that we do um, to achieve a, a crazy amount. I, I don't speak about um, the volume of outreach that we do quite enough. Let me give a a real-time update for where we're at in Western Canada at the time of recording. I'm looking at our Western Activism Stats Tracker right now. We have achieved just over 617,000 views of abortion victim photography in Western Canada. To this point, we have achieved just under 2,000 man-hours of activism. That is, talking to people on street corners or on doorsteps, showing the truth about what abortion does to preborn children. We have had thousands of conversations. We have seen hundreds of people become fully pro-life within the span of conversation already. We've trained hundreds of people in churches and pro-life groups across the country. Um, it's been really cool. And if you want to help us um, reach even more people, have more conversations, more man hours of activism, please, please, please financially partner with us. There's a ton of people who want to give their time and energy, um, but they have financial ends to meet. And if there's a college kid that is um, weighing between working at Tim Hortons for for five hours a week um, to try to offset some of their budget and working for CCBR for five hours a week or something like that, we'd love to have you um, make that a reality for them. So thanks a ton, patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Thank you as always for being a part of the show. 
And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Wherever you're at, however many hours are left in the day for you, may God bless you abundantly.